Good morning. Awesome. Just to say, what a great day yesterday. 25 degrees on October 28th. Seriously? And then 2 degrees this morning. So what's up with that? So I went swimming yesterday. I did. I paddleboarded yesterday from Silverwood down to Morrell Park. So if you know where Morrell Park is, the ball diamond down off of Waterloo Road. I put in up at Silverwood. And uh, I got in the water and, man, was I ever moving. The wind was at my back. This had nothing to do with my message, by the way. I just tell you. And I thought, this is great. I was just motoring. I was like, my first kilometer was in seven minutes. Like, that's fast on the paddleboard. And I'm 64. Come on, it's not going to be fast. But there's a point at which the river, the river widened and the wind came up. I mean, big time, across the river. And the river is probably a kilometer and a half at that point. And so, all of a sudden, I found myself in two-and-a-half-foot waves and breakers and all this. And I'm like, I'm going in. Sure enough. Anyway, I was able to surf the board a little bit until I got in front of the aquatic center. And I'm going in. I went in. I had a good swim. About five minutes. And, um, yeah, I finally righted the board and got back up and went on my way and made it back to uh, Morrell Park. But anyway, the water was uh, not too bad for October 28th. And I didn't even have a wetsuit on. So, anyway, there's a message in there somewhere. I'm just not sure where it is. I'm not going to try to find it. So, this morning, um, I want to take some time. What was that? Peanut gallery here in the front. Rushworth. Oh, is They're all pointing at Santiago. All right, settle down. We're starting. Okay. So this morning, uh, this morning's message. About three weeks ago, we were at a prayer meeting, and I, I just felt like I saw this picture of, and this was not to single out young people, but I saw young people basically standing up. And they were standing um, and not bowing down to the pressure. And I immediately knew that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me um, and immediately was drawn to this morning's story. I'm going to tell the story this morning. Um, I'm going to be speaking out of Daniel 1 and Daniel 3 on faithfulness under pressure. And so it doesn't matter really how old you are. But I do really want those of you who are, let's just say, younger, I want you to really try to pay attention this morning to this because this message, if you apprehend it and apply it in your life, I believe God is going to set you up in many ways for success. And I don't mean financial success, although that could happen. I mean God can set you up for success in His kingdom. And so, I'm going to tell a story this morning. And uh, I'm going to break it up into three themes, and it's from Daniel 1 and Daniel 3. If you have a Bible, don't go to it. Because you're not going to be able to follow it, because 
I've had to modify it somewhat in order to fit it in because there's a lot of scripture. And I said, well, why don't I just try to truncate it a little bit and we'll get through the, of the story. And I just have a question. Is this ringing for you? Is it? Okay, good. All right. So, scene one. We're going to go with scene one. And just to set it up before we get into the story, at this point, Judah, which is half of the kingdom, Israel and Judah had been split for a long time, a long succession of evil kings who weren't following God. They were off track and really uh, bringing the nation of Israel and Judah, the nations, into really seasons of idolatry and unfaithfulness. Finally, it's like God says enough. And that's where we pick it up. And so Israel had already gone into captivity with the Assyrians. And now, it's a number of years later, Babylon is knocking on the door. And so during the, during the reign of King Jehoiakim in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, get this, the Lord gave him victory over Judah. It was the Lord that gave King Nebuchadnezzar victory. Then, the king ordered that some of the captive young men of Judah's royal family, he ordered that they be brought to the palace along with other noble families. And so, he said basically to his assistants, he said, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men and make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, that they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. He said, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. In other words, he was like, we want to re-educate them to our ways. We want them acclimatized to Babylon. Just as an aside, folks, we live in Babylon. We've lived in Babylon for a long time. It's a dry and weary land where there is no water. Young people, it's a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's a desert. And this is not our home. And this was not the home of the people of Judah. So the king ordered for this to take place, to train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter royal service. And so he's like, I'm not stupid. I know what I want to do. I want to take the best and the brightest, and I want to acclimatize them to our way of life. Because we need them. And he recognized the importance of this. And so, four of the young men chosen, and they were named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And he had their names changed to Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. You've heard of those names before. Maybe. And if you haven't heard their names before, they were given Babylonian names. Names that were foreign to them. They were renamed. There was an attempt here at reconstituting their identity. Giving them a new identity. They weren't just going to study about where they were. They weren't just going to learn the ways of Babylon. But they were given a whole new name. Can you imagine what that would be like? But Daniel, one of the four, was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. And so just to prove, he says, look, I don't want to eat your stuff. I don't want to eat your steak. I don't want to eat your pad thai. I don't want to eat all the good stuff, your lobster and your shrimp and your scallops. I don't want to eat that stuff. You have nothing to do with it. So he said, ask the chief of staff for permission to not eat the food. At the end of ten days, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. They weren't the only ones from Judah that were in the courts, but they were the only four that decided to not go where the others went. That's just a side note, but that is important. I'm not going to develop it. That's a message in and of itself. So they look better. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Scriptures are pretty clear. He gave them an understanding, an aptitude for Babylonian wisdom and literature. They understood it. So the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all of the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. So these four were given high titles in the land. They were in a unique position, weren't they? And here's the thing. They were a blessing to their captors. And they built up the society in which they found themselves. While at the same time, they remained true to the God that they served. That's their response to Babylon. They didn't protest. They didn't wave placards. They found their way and were given favor. The result of their faithfulness. So we go. Scheme one, and just unpack that briefly. They never forgot who they were. They never 
about who they were. Folks, we must never forget who we are. We must never forget. Because they knew whose they were. And folks, we know whose we are. We today are found in Christ. Young people, we're found in Christ. You're found in Christ. Regardless of what your feelings would say, if you have received Christ into your life and you said, Jesus, I want you to control my life, you are in Christ. This has got nothing to do with feelings. Oh, feelings come. But this has got nothing to do with that. We're in Christ. We're secure. And these guys, as we are, we are faithful. And in our faithfulness, we're blessed by God. I could tell you stories. Many stories. I just don't have time this morning. I could tell you stories. Many of you who are here would understand that in your faithfulness to God and in your determination to understand and better the world around you, God is blessing you. He's changing the environments where you work. He's changing the environments of where you go to school because you're there. Your very presence there has an impact. It's not, it's not about being anti-this and anti-that. It's about being for Jesus. And hearing His Spirit, always having in your conversations, the conversation going this, this way, but here it is, folks. You need to have your antenna up, hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're with your friends. What opportunities, what things is He saying to me that I can choose to be obedient. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were those who listened. They apprehended the culture, but they also were uncompromising. And they were there for the betterment of the culture. I'm going to take a great risk here. protest, or are we to say it? I'll leave it there. We're to say it. We're to win the day by being Jesus with those who we work with, those who we go to school with, those who we interact with for the betterment of the culture. We're just trying to make things, hey, it's so great. No, we're here to bring the kingdom of God wherever we set our feet. How much more for us today than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We have it so much better, folks. We've got it so much better. Think about this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to certain individuals at certain times for certain exploits. But the Holy Spirit was not resident in the lives and hearts of the people. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living resident because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus had not yet come to the earth. And so His Spirit had not yet been given as He's been given to us. How much more, therefore, for us should we have the wisdom and the understanding and the discernment given to us by the Holy Spirit whom we ask for these things? I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. I need your discernment. Holy Spirit, speak to me when I go into this meeting today. Speak to me as I go to this class today where I have such challenges. Speak to me, Holy Spirit, in my relationships. Speak to me, Holy Spirit, in my family. Help me. How much more do we have? We have an advantage. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit. John, John 14, 26, Jesus said this, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Guys, you're in grade 4, you're in grade 5, you're in grade 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you're in university. Jesus, by His Holy Spirit, reminds you of things you haven't even read because He is the author of life and He speaks to you words you never knew. And He will give you wisdom and He will give you discernment and He will give you understanding to navigate the situations you find yourself in. Ephesians 5.18 says to Go on being filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's a present continuous grammatical structure. Basically, we can be filled with the Spirit continually. We ask every day. My prayer, I'm, I'm telling you, seriously, my prayer is every day, Holy Spirit, fill me. I, I find myself praying that more than once a day. It's okay. It's okay. Sam, it's okay. You can ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit five times a day, and that's okay. Josh, you can ask five times a day to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and He will fill you. He will give you wisdom. He will give you understanding. He'll do it. But He does. Participation time. Let's all stand. Stand up. If you're able. Very simply, in a posture of receiving, I just want to lead us in a prayer. And you can pray alone. Raise up your hand. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you come? Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me understanding in my workplace, in my school, in my family, in my relationships. Would you come and help me to understand the time? Would you help me to have an impact all around me for the betterment of my culture? 
Would you come and do that in my world? And what my world is, would you come and fill me with your Holy Spirit even now? In Jesus' name. You may be seated. We're not done. <laughs> Man, that was quick. For Gary, that was really fast. Scene two gets better. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue that was 27 meters high and over 3 meters thick. He set it up on the Dura Plain in the province of Babylon. It's a plain. He set it up there so everybody could see it. He set it up there and then he ordered everybody who was anybody to the dedication ceremony of the statue and they took their places before the statue that the king had erected. So he set up basically an idol that represented all that his kingdom stood for. It doesn't even say in the scripture that it was a, a statue of him. I don't even know what it looked like. I can imagine. I don't know. But he set it up. And a messenger that he appointed then proclaimed, Attention everyone! He had them all gathered. He had anybody who was everybody there, or any, everybody who was anybody there, and he proclaimed, this messenger proclaimed, attention, everyone, every race, color, and creed, listen. When you hear the band strike up, fall on your knees, and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. So as the huge band started to play, everyone, every race, color, and creed, fell to their knees and worshipped the gold statue. Just then, some fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They reported to the king. They went to rat out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to go rat them out. They went to the king. Interesting that it's the fortune tellers, isn't it? The spiritual guides of the nation. The battle is not of the flesh. The battle is spiritual. They're the ones that picked it up. They're the ones that noticed. They're the ones that took offense. So we got them now. Going to the king. Going to the authority. You gave strict orders, O king. That when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall on their knees, to their knees, and worship the gold statue. But there are some Jews with whom you placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. You're putting the pressure on the king here. These are your guys. You can almost hear them say, We told you so. Shouldn't be bringing these guys in here. These men are ignoring you. Men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your God, and they won't worship the gold statue that you set up. Furious. 
the king ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. And when the men were brought in, the king asked, Is it true that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I've set up? It's almost like the king's like incredulous. He doesn't even, really? Like, this is a big deal for you guys? This is a big deal for you? To not bow to it? Like, really? This, this is an easy one. He doesn't, can't believe that, that they're not bowing down. I'm giving you a second chance, but you must go to your knees and worship the statue I've made. It's almost as if he's kind of pulling for them. Like, come on, guys. Like, you're really, like I've got a lot riding on this. I was kind of true. I took a risk. And now, like, come on, please. I'll give you another chance. But he's the king. And he has to follow through on his decree. There's no exception. He's kind of like, guys, come on, show me a bone here. Just, just one you to climb. If you don't worship it, you'll be pitched into the roaring furnace. No questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? You see, he wasn't willing to give an inch. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, Your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your, fur- your roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up. Pun intended. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statues that you set up. Oof, things are getting hot. So now we find our friends adjusting to the pressure. ourselves find ourselves in somewhat of the same boat. And we are up against some powerful cultural idols ourselves that are asking us to bow down. I don't have the time to go into the details. I'll name a few. Materialism is one. The pursuit of wealth, material possessions. It's an idol in our culture, isn't it? He who has the most toys when he wins, dies. Or uh, wins. He, he who has the most toys when he dies, wins. How about all that social media and technology bring to us? The constant need for validation and the social approval on the social platforms that we use. Ask yourself the question, does it matter to me at all if I get likes? Honestly, ask that question of yourself. Does it matter to me if I get likes? I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on. I'm just saying you could have signals and signs that you could have a challenge in your life with this idol. We look for validation, don't we? We look for people to tell us we're great. We can shape our decisions based on 
the judgments of others online, right? How about this one? Is this an idol? Nationalism and patriotism. Oh, this doesn't happen in Canada. The Americans. Thank God I am not a Republican or a Democrat, and I have to wage that minefield. Did you know that we in Canada have a problem with national pride and that we think we're better than other nations? And I've just shown you how. Because some of you are saying, whew, so glad you're out down there. So great to be in Canada where we have it all together. Sorry. So sorry. We're humble. Sorry. We've got it all over those guys down there. Oh, but we're the peace-loving nation in the world. There's no one like us in the world. Sorry. Seriously. What about family? Can family be an idol? Are you dependent on your family for identity? Are we so dependent and focused solely on our families that we exclude those who don't fit into our expectations? Are we isolationists? Would we rather be alone with our families? And I mean, our world can get pretty small, folks. I'm talking about our blood families now. Last one I'll touch on. How about the fear of man? Folks, I always have to be checking my heart, asking myself the question, why am I afraid to say this to this person? Why am I afraid to take a stand on this when I need to? Why am I so concerned about somebody else's opinion when here I am on a Sunday morning saying, whose opinion matters most is the opinion of Jesus who loves me and gave himself for me? Full disclosure. I have to check my heart. See, our allegiances are going to be tested. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's allegiances were tested. Our values are going to be found out. Guys, your values, i.e., your Christian, Jesus following lifestyle, is going to be found out. And guess what? People know even if you haven't told them. You're going to be found out. I'm going to be found out. I am being found out. Your allegiances are going to be tested. Emily, your allegiances are going to be tested and are being tested. True? Josh Hopkins, your allegiances are being tested. in season and out of season, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. The in season and out of season, 
when we're ready and when we're not ready. When we least expect it, your allegiances will be tested. must have an eternal view. Because you know what? In the testing of our allegiances, we have to think, okay, so what if I'm made fun of? So what if I'm rejected? So what? Remember, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. His presence in your life is what matters. And He says, just remember, if not today, said as we said a minute ago, even if our God does not save us, even if we are burned to a crisp, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything because one day every tear will be wiped away. One day everything will be made right. One day, one day, one day. And there are real threats and real consequences. There are real threats when we're found out and when we're confronted. There are real threats and real consequences. Whether you're in elementary school, whether you're in middle school, high school, university, working for the government, teaching in a school, staying at home, whatever you're doing. There are real threats, but it's a question of devotion. You see, Jesus, because He's put His Holy Spirit in us, Paul says, don't you realize that you're temples of the living God, that you're temples of the Holy Spirit? I'm calling you to complete devotion to me. There are some of us that don't even think there's a battle. I want you to know there's a battle. This is a battle we're in. Like, we're in a battle. Like I said earlier, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, authorities, principalities, powers. There's real battle going on. But He's calling us to be devoted. He's calling us to complete, unadulterated, single-heartedness. Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect, even in the battle, even in the fire, even in the flames. He will do that. That's His promise to you. That's what He's doing. Let's stand. Stand up again. Now, you've been filled with the Spirit. I believe that. I really do. I'm not just going through the motions here. I believe when we ask to be filled with the Spirit, we are. But now, just I just want to lead us in a prayer of devotion. So we would have courage in the face of everything we see every day. Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. We devote ourselves to you. Unwavering, 
single-mindedness, single heart, a unified heart in this room right now. We devote ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you. And we say, God, would you give us courage in the face, face of threats, in the per- face of possible persecution, in the face of possible alienation and isolation, and whatever might come our way, we devote ourselves to you today. Would you give us wisdom in the name of Jesus. Have a seat. We're almost there, folks. You're doing great. Are we good? Are we good? All right. Scene three. This is the last scene. Scene three. I love the first line. Nebuchadnezzar, his face purple with anger, ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, and throw them into the roaring furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were pitched into the roaring fire. And because the king was in such a hurry and the furnace was so hot, flames from the furnace killed the men who carried them to it while the fire raged around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in the furnace. They're in the fire. Suddenly, in the Scriptures, whenever you read a suddenly, time for God to intervene. The king jumped up in alarm and said, "Uh, didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? But look, he said, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. And the fourth man looks like the son of the God. Can you forward that slide to me, Jeremy? Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace and called in. And when, he, when I read this, I'm like, okay, hold on. He couldn't have done it in, an, in, an, in a moment. He had to somehow get the flames down a bit. Because he couldn't even get, how's he going to get close? Like, he can't get close, it's too hot. They weren't just in there for a few minutes. There's a message in that too, but I'll keep going. So he went to the door, called in, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the high God. He doesn't say my God. Come out here. And so the men walked out of the fire. All the important people, anybody who's any, or everybody who's anybody, gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't so much as touched the three men, not a hair thin, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them, And the king declared, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. And I mean, he's saying this, and I'm I'm thinking like, it's almost like he's appropriating it to himself, but he can't claim the credit here. Therefore, I issue this decree, anyone anywhere of any race, color, or creed who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and their houses torn down. 
there's never been a God who can pull off a rescue like this. Then the king promoted them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the province of Babylon. Some of us walk around not even aware that His presence is with us. We must adjust to the fact that His presence is with you. If you're in elementary school today and you say you're a follower of Jesus, guys and girls, like, He is with you. He's re- I mean, He really, really is. And as you devote yourself to Him, He makes His presence known to you. See, there's a response to devotion. The king and every, uh, everybody who was anybody, all the officials, they responded to that devotion, didn't they? There was a response to it. But our devotion to Jesus sometimes will provoke a negative response too, don't we know? Sometimes it's going to be anger. Sometimes it's going to be jealousy. Sometimes it could be rage. It could be ridicule, it could be ostracization, it could be anything, any one of a number of things. Our devotion could be the reason. And it also can have a very positive effect. We just don't know what it's going to be. Are you good with that? And sometimes it's very surprising. Sometimes our devotion will lead to the loss of a job, maybe alienation by friends or family, various kinds of harm. I could go on. And the follow-through on the threat can be um, immediate. Nebuchadnezzar didn't wait and just scream in the fire. So we may fall into the flames. But the response is our testimony, isn't it? How you respond how you respond is everything. It's everything. My principal, when I was a principal, I would oftentimes be faced with very difficult circumstances and I'd have people pointing their finger in my face and cursing and swearing at me for various things. And then there's the kids. My response, and I learned it, was to respond with the opposite spirit. And I would choose to love. In other words, I had to follow the Q-tip acronym. You know that one? Q-T-I-P? Quit taking it personally. Because the affront is not against you, it's against Jesus. I think Jesus has big enough shoulders to handle the affront. See, the impact can lead to salvation. The impact that we leave can lead to salvation. There was a man that I worked with for five years. He showed up at our school a long time ago now. He showed up at our school for five years. I just lived my life. I kind of did the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego thing, blessing was on my life, all that stuff. But I was ridiculed regularly by this guy. Made fun of me. His nickname for me was Bible Boy. Kind of chuckled, you know. 
five years of this. We became friends. We were friends. But still, in public, one-on-one he was fine. In public, put him in a public place, he'd make fun of me for my faith. One Saturday morning, I'm having breakfast with my family. I get an email from him. I need to see you in my office this morning. Saturday morning. He was one of my administrators. I went, I said, I must be in trouble. Wouldn't that be your response? Like, what did I do? Maybe this is it. So I walked into his office. I, I, he met me at the door, and I walked into his office, and I'm like, kind of looking around like, what is going to happen? I'm getting myself ready for whatever. And he looked at me, and I kid you not, he sat in his chair with tears in his eyes, and he said, I've watched your life for five years. I've thrown a lot of abuse at you. And I know you're a Christian. What do I have to do to be like you? And that morning, I had the privilege of meeting him to Jesus. But sometimes it can take a long time. But my response is my testimony. And the impact of my response, the impact of your response, can lead to salvation. In season and out. See, Jesus is with us in the midst of the fire. He really is. He really is. You see, we have a peace that makes no sense. I love that sentence. We have a peace that makes no sense. Jesus said it. I leave my peace with you. Peace that the world can't give you. I'm leaving it with you. Isaiah 43 says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. And ask the worship team to come. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And when you go through times of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. It won't. Because he's faithful. He's faithful. First Peter says this. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed the whole world. But not yet. It's coming for us. It's coming. We have to become accustomed to His presence in our life. Can you stand?
Lord Jesus. We lift up our hands to you this morning and we say, you're faithful in filling us with your spirit. You're faithful in calling us to devotion because you're devoted to us. Lord Jesus, we are devoted to you. Lord Jesus, now, would you strengthen us and would you fill us with boldness? Would you fill us with courage? For we know that you are with us, that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us, you'll never leave us as an orphan. You have come to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You are with us in the fire. You're with us. And you promise that we will never be burned. And Lord, even if it costs us our lives, we know that one day we will stand together and there will be no more tears. Lord Jesus, our faithfulness today causes us to worship. Let us worship our faithful, devoted King now in the name of Jesus. Thank you this morning. Let's just give him the worship he deserves. Folks, he's devoted to you. And because he's devoted to you, you can be devoted to him. And I think this morning that the Holy Spirit is really calling us out here, me included, and saying, are you willing? See, this is not just a kid's Bible story. This is pretty hefty, heavy stuff. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us, O God. In Jesus' name. Let's worship Him.